0: Eine Frage. Wie schnell war der Aufschlag? 150 km/h. Wie lang war der Drive? 229 Meter. Wie lange hast du geschlafen? Oh, 7 Stunden 54 Minuten. Letzte Frage. Trainierst du deinen Körper und deinen Geist mit der Achtsamkeit?
1: Ja, genau das mache ich.
0: Wir alle haben Fragen. Und die neue Apple Watch Series 7 hat die Antworten. Auf dem bisher größten und fortschrittlichsten Display. Die Zukunft der Gesundheit am Handgelenk. Lieferengpässe möglich. Erfordert ein iPhone 6S oder neuer App aus dem App Store. Abo erforderlich.
1: Okay, it's Steph Chidge here. Uh, this is the Chelsea Fancast, uh and uh, I'm joined as ever by the delightful Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Oh,
0: how lovely to be described that way, Chidge. All I can yes. say is, will there be a bugger's muddle again this week?
1: No, we that... did the bugger's muddle gag last week.
0: Okay. No, not a gag. I wonder whether or not that No, no. Bite, there would be another I... another ancient word that we could analyze. I've and... got
1: I've got an ancient word for you clusterfuck. Oh, that's a modern word. Is it? I thought it was Anglo-Saxon. Oh, really? I must look it up. OK. Um, right, before we get into the good old season that was 1975-76, uh, a quick plug, actually, because Mark, Mark will uh, be very cross with if I don't mention this. But uh, CFC UK, like us, uh, has uh, stoically carried on in spite of the fact there's no football. And the latest issue is an absolute humdinger. Of an issue, even if I do say so myself, because it's absolutely dedicated to captain leader legend Mr. John Terry himself. So every article in the fanzine uh, is about JT. I haven't, I haven't read yours yet, Mark.
2: You haven't? Oh, it's in the Not center yet. pages. So is it? that's the psychology of any kind of book or magazine. You always open up the center pages. So I was delighted to see I was in those pages this issue. It's a great issue.
1: Yeah. Well, Tim, Tim Rolls will tell you the first, uh, the first article I read is always my own. So, and mine are usually at the back, so I tend to work my way from the back to the front. But what's uh, the
0: reasoning behind that, judge?
1: But I I read my own.
0: Yeah, just to see whether whether it is as good as you remember it, or whether.
1: Because uh, you know what, there are many re- Tim think Tim thinks it's because I've got a fat ego, and of course, you know, there's an element of truth to that. But the real the the real other reasons could possibly be I can't remember what I wrote usually. I mean, this one I can because it's the JT issue, so even I can remember that. Invariably, I write it way before it comes comes out and i've forgotten what i wrote about so i'm intrigued to know what i wrote secondly um i'm usually intrigued to see if he who must not be named also known as dj has edited anything out or, or erroneously corrected grammar or i mean i remember i wrote uh the old contemptibles i had a reference to the old contemptibles and dj questioned this and said that's not a word and they don't ex- I said they do. It's First World War history. So there are always things like that that I check for. Um, and, and that's about it, really. Uh, so there you go. But mainly because I've got a fat ego, it has to be said. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it's a really great issue. As Mark was saying, I mean, it is an absolute stonker. I mean, it also includes, other than Mark's great piece in the middle pages, um, there's an interview uh, with JT done in 2015 with Mickey Microphone of CFC UK fame. So if you want a copy, uh, you can get them. Even if there's no football and no stall, you can still get them. You can get them digitally by subscribing online at cfcuk.net or uh, CFC can be bought via post, priced at £2, including first-class postal delivery to order, send uh, an address via email and uh, send your address via email and pay using PayPal to cfcuk at gate17.co.uk. Uh, And I mean, you can get this in in the USA as well. And I think you can also get them on eBay, although it's so complicated, I don't understand how that works. But there you go. Um, I I think also I'm going to give a quick plug to Patreon now and I can get it out of the way. Um, Yeah, Patreon. Uh, We do have a Patreon account and it's, it's, you know, lots of people are in there and they donate a little bit of money every week or every month, which is great because it it helps keep this damn thing uh, on the road and uh, helps to cover... Uh, you will be surprised how many costs there are involved. Uh, less so on the beer front these days since we moved out of Putney Station, but there are uh, hosting costs and you name it. Anyway, so it's very, very gratefully received. Um, I, I try hard to kind of engage with you. I put my article on 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 football uh, fans being uh, more important than no football. Uh, last week, and I also, I think, put a link up to the last My Chelsea, which I have uh, funnily enough featured me. But I try and get on to get stuff on there for you, and it's a good way of getting a hold of me if you want to. So there we go, patreon.com forward slash Chelsea fancast uh I, I commend it to you. All. Uh, now, um, as I said earlier, on we've got uh, an absolute privilege having Mark here tonight because he wrote, he's literally written the book on this, the Eddie Mac years. Uh, of course, um, Eddie McCready, we last heard from last week. Uh, in his first match in charge being the infamous battle at White Hart Lane uh, where Chelsea lost 2-0 and in many respects it kind of sent us down and uh, Eddie dispensed with a lot of the old players and shows the youth players which was a bold thing to do uh, didn't quite work for him although you know on another day Rick Wilkins would have equalised and who knows who knows history may have been changed He'd
0: have gone down the following year
1: yeah, I think that's the that was the conclusion that we got to, funnily enough, it wasn't was. it? That's a very good point. So there you go. So um the first thing that I picked up this season, Mark, uh reading your book actually, um was and I didn't know this. I, I really oh no, actually it wasn't. This this I found at the the kind of the, the coder in Tim's book, uh funnily enough. But Chelsea uh I mean Brian Mears actually put Chelsea into the hands of the receivers So basically, gave up the ghost and said, "Look, that's it. We're out of money." Um, And there was—I can't quite remember the details—but for some reason, it didn't go through, and they kind of forgot about it, and therefore, we just carried on. I I mean, I've given a pretty nebulous summary of that, but what what do you remember of that?
2: Uh, I don't remember the receivership. I said I think what what I remember was almost like the end of the seventy-five-six season and um a book i'd recommend to you is the first book brian mears wrote i think he wrote it in the late 80s early 90s 82 is 82 um and and he talks in the first part of that book about going at the end of the season sort of like cap in hand to the bank and basically we were sort of like you know seconds of going out of business you know yeah, and yeah. He, he a bit of gallows humor in it when he was sort of talking about going there so you know, at that time, you know, I was like 13 years of age. So, you know, Chelsea going out of business was just like oblivious, oblivious to me. It probably didn't appreciate at the time. It's only in later years as you more get into the history, you know, and, and, and you read and hear about the club, how close we were, you know, to no longer being here.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what really struck me, actually, Mark. It, it, I, I had no idea that it, it was that close. When you, when, when you go, when, I mean, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who know what this means, but if you go... If you put your, put your uh, company into receivership, you're basically going into administration. And yep. very, very, I mean, I know I've been there, but uh, very, very few. Uh, yeah. I mean, my company went down only half a million, JK. I mean, you know, as the, I, took, I took that old adage. If I go down, I go down in flames, quite literally.
0: Are you, are you a crook?
1: No. Oh, okay. Why would that make me a crook? Okay.
0: Well, I, I know that you can get away with it, but really, are you a crook? I mean, no, no,
1: because I i wasn't trying to get away with it. We were trying to keep the company going. It, so, it no, in, yeah, was, we, we were trying to pay our creditors back, but okay. it, we just got screwed. We made some bad decisions. It wasn't all on my head. I, I, I was one of several directors. But, you know, when you put how your did, company... well,
0: how did, this, how did this escape the press, though? The press didn't go for this at all.
1: You don't remember it.
0: I don't remember it. No, no, no. Well, I mean, as I said, it was news to me. I don't remember me. it being a Mark. Am I wrong not to remember it? I can't. No, you're, you're I, not, jonathan As I said, you know, it's
2: it's only more re- recent years. like reading the Brian Mears book. I didn't yeah, read yeah. it at the time. I I got it a few years ago when I was researching Eddie Mac. And you see how close we were to going out of business because it.
0: I don't remember it being reported at the time. No, no. Yeah. I wonder yeah. whether he had a few inns with people with it, or he was very secretive about it, or the bank just bailed him out. So that was the end of that. He didn't feel it necessary. That didn't. It never. It never came across like that. But it. it, it was. I mean, when you think about it, it, it made obvious sense. I mean, I, I. I read in 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 your book, in fact, I think that they were three million in debt. Is that right? Is that right, Mark? They were. It was three million yeah, at the time. and I think if I know, I know. I know we're probably going to talk about the crowds of that season, but if
2: you look at it as a business model, when the East End was built, yeah. they had to survive to, for the model to work on 30,000 crowds. Now, if we go through the crowds of the 75-6 season, there was very few occasions where we got anywhere near 30,000. There was a lot of occasions where we were a lot below 20,000. So if on a business model, you're getting 10,000 less every single home game, that 's going to impact and you know, have an impact on your bank balance,
0: and was that just paying off the interest? I think it was wasn 't it it was yeah. uh, yeah. yes it was two
1: grand a week or something they were having a fork out, yeah. which doesn 't sound a lot of money these days, but in those days it was a lot of money, and of course, they'd spent you know two over two million on the stand I mean this was really the the summation of tim 's book uh, that we 've been relying heavily on for the last few weeks, Jonathan, that you know that the the preceding season was really the shit or bust moment. You know, they'd spent all the money on the stand. They'd got rid of their star players and hoiked in some money for that. But a whole coalescence of bad shit happening at the same time, not least falling attendances because, of course, the football was rubbish, stuffed them and they were a good, on average, 10,000 below. I mean, they needed 35,000 to break even, apparently. And even if they were breaking even, that wasn't enough because of the money they'd spent on the stand. So I think the summation of this is that I didn't realise, and these two boys who were there, they didn't realise actually just what a parlous situation, what a what a a delicate situation Chelsea were in. I mean, you know, the club could have gone out of business. Well, um, there's
2: an there's an interesting ch- chidge as well. It's quite a brilliant story. It's it's, it's classy Chelsea. I, I talk about it. I think it might have been in Tim's book or in Brian Mears' book. When Chelsea got relegated, they broke out the champagne. Yeah. So Why? they took a load of bottles of champagne down to the dressing room. And, you know, so I don't know how much for a club, you know, on the brink of going out of business, you know, spent <laughs> on the champagne, that relegation game. But there's probably a touch of class about that as well. We may have no money, but we're going to drink ourselves stupid of some high quality champagne. Well, Wasn't it?
0: They were also saying that they felt that this was a turning point because it meant that they could go into a lower division and regroup and win it and come back. That was supposed to be the idea. I I the impression that I got from that was a kind of positive, looking for a slightly mad positive out of a negative, but uh, and also uh, they probably had some very cheap champagne in the in the Chelsea restaurant. Well, no, no it really not It restaurant.
1: wouldn't have been cheap, J.K., because I, I think again I forget now. I've read so many books recently on Chelsea that they're all merging into no, one. Of
0: course, it would have been unbelievably expensive because yeah. he liked having that competition, didn't he? Yes. He had that, according to to uh, to Tim's book, he had it was that Tim, was it? With yeah, the competition with the Cobolds, the, uh, the Ipswich, absolutely the Ipswich. Uh,
1: did you like the story yeah. about the fact that they used to have that? You're right. They used to have a competition to see who could outflash each other in terms of hospitality. Oh, and he turned up to uh, Portman Road with a whole salmon. Yes. And uh, Cobbold said, well, I'm, you know, we're not cooking it. You can cook it yourself. So apparently Brian it, Mears did, yeah. <laughs> which I think is brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. Um, the, the main changes, uh, you know, from uh, this season to last season in terms of players was the fact that, you know, Eddie McCready had made quite a big play, uh, as you know, for leaving out some really key players for Chelsea in the in the Spurs uh, match that came towards the end of the season. Uh, but this season saw Chelsea start without John Hollins, which almost seems a- unconscionable for those that that loved to to watch him play for many many years. But also Steve Kemba, who arguably h- had been bought in, should never have been bought in to replace Alan Hudson, but kind of irked alan hudson so much that huddy left and of course the dear that the guy that i never really knew never really saw him play had no idea. all i knew was that you know the crowd didn't like him and they called him mary but all these games i've been watching on youtube with where peter houseman features the more i'm in love with this guy and what a fantastic player he was anyway kemba hollins and houseman are all gone um Peter Bonetti's buggered off to the States because he's had enough. Um, interestingly, Eddie pleads with him to get him back. So it was a very much out with the old and in with the new. And of the new players, the ones that were featuring early on, Mark, were obviously Ray Wilkins, who was made the captain at 18. Uh, his brother, Graham, John Sparrow uh, as a left back. Uh, Gary Stanley, who, who looks exactly the same today, by the way, a bit greyer. Uh, beautiful man. Uh, Ian Britton, the lovely Ian Britton who I used to love, uh, and Teddy Maybank, who, as Mark will no doubt tell you, is is more of a legend now around the bridge than he probably was at the time. But it was a very new look side, wasn't it? It was kind of the cream of the youth that were beginning to break through, Mark.
2: Very, very much so. And, and if you do the contrast between the side that started that, that home game for the 74-5 season and the side that started the first home game the following season, ironically, against the same opposition, Carlisle United, mm. there was only two players remaining from that side. So it was very much a, a, a really freshen up, you know, new, new look Chelsea side. A new goalkeeper, he'd played before, but Steve Sherwood was number one And I think if I remember right, I think Peter Benetti was given a free transfer at the end of that season as well. So, Peter Benetti actually was, you know, Eddie let him go. Um, um, And I think Benetti only came back because John Phillips, um, Derek Richardson and Steve Sherwood were going to be the goalkeepers. And I think in a pre-season friendly, I think John Phillips broke his leg. So, all the photos of the 75-6 season, when you have that photo with all the players at the start of the season, the two goalkeepers in the foe are Derek Richards and Steve Sherwood because John Phillips was injured, and we'll probably talk later as the, the, the early part of the season progressed. You're right, Eddie brought um, Peter Benetti back because we we needed a goalkeeper to stabilise the team.
1: We did indeed.
0: He was I mean, still great with the the odd great save. He looked a bit he looked a bit less sprightly. There was always a a, a bounce about Benetti that I loved. He was always on his toes. He was always looking for a quick. Quick way of putting, of getting a defence into attack. And I mentioned this before. The the beautiful way that he would throw the ball out excellently if somebody gave him an angle, and uh, and he drop kicked the ball. He had a decent drop kick, but it was this ability to actually play players in that was so excellent, and his ability to come for crosses. And he was always getting in the. He was, he was injured so often because he was always in in the in the mix of it. He was always making a huge effort, always getting there. He was a a a. a a very different-looking kind of goalkeeper from goalkeepers nowadays because he didn't have that bulk. He was just a... He was cat-like. He sprung. He had this little bounce about him all the time. He was... Uh, I think there have been too many too many games the season before where he'd still been recovering from injury or not quite up to it. But it was interesting to see when he did get back. He just didn't look out of place at all. I, I found... Um, the, the whole business of, 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 of you, you might know more about this, Mark, than me, that that why what happened with Kemba Hollins and Hausman? Did he just think, did he think, I want everybody to go? Or was he advised by the board because they were bigger wage earners? Or was it that he himself thought, I've fallen out with these guys? Was there that? Because Don't, an important... There wasn't
2: even a falling out. So, like, and Eddie's covered it in the book. And, you know, when, when we talked to him about it, when he was over, you know, he, he spoke to each of them one by one. He thought, if I'm going to make that difficult decision, these are my friends. These are my colleagues, even my teammates. Um, yeah. he, he took that managerial decision. He had faith in the youth because uh, even when Sexton was manager, Eddie was already w- working with the youngsters in the reserves in the youth team. Yes. Um, so he he really had high hopes for that side. And I think he said at the start of the season, give us two years, you know, give us two years uh, and I'll, I'll get us back in the top flight. He asked for patience, you know, and he said it'd be a season of rebuilding development. And he was putting his face in the youngsters. There was yeah. no falling out. Right. I think he just took that decision, you know, that he was going to go with them. And so he let, he let them go. The strange thing, if, if you look back to that team from 74, five, the 75, six and Chidge, you talked about Peter Hausman. Yeah. You know, I, I thought it was strange Peter Hausman went because, we played him as a left back the previous season, um, but he was a, a proper left winger. The very player we brought in, John Sissons, just never played that season.
1: No, He was awful,
2: too.
0: He was awful. Yeah,
2: yeah but, but why did not we sell John Sissons and keep Peter Hausman? That would have been a far yeah. better thing well, to no. do. And
0: also, why to Oxford? I know they were in the second division okay. at the side, but why? And only for 40,000, I think he went. You just, yeah. hang on, surely he could have He got, what was he, twenty-six.
1: Yeah, I was, a, it,
0: I, I was really bemused about. At the yeah. time, I was absolutely bemused about that as a supporter. I remember thinking, I don't get this. Why he's gone there? Why he's gone for such a small amount of money? Um, and surely other clubs would have come in for for him because he was a a class act when it came to crossing. My goodness me, much just, much
1: underrated, I uh, think. With,
0: with like, well, what people used to get pissed off was he would disappear and look lightweight from time to time. There was a bloke next mm. used to sit next to me, um, um, when I was sitting with my dad, who would just. An American guy, and where he wore a new York, New York, um, um, uh, what you call it, the base, baseball hat. Yeah, your base baseball hat, and um, and used to shout out, um, "Come on, Mary!" He'd also have a go at the base, uh, the uh, the uh, the ball boys. Come on, ball boy, get that ball in quicker! And uh, and, and it was, he, and his
1: name is Bruce Buck. know. you never know. But uh, it, it was. Do you look like Larry David? It, I, they were
0: they were so showbiz where my dad sat that uh, uh, they were writers. Well,
1: and- Bruce, I think actually, to be fair, and uh, Bruce, if you're listening, I apologise for the cheap shot. Uh, don't 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 sue me, please. Uh, anyway, uh, from what I understand, I think Bruce, Bruce, uh, I think he because we talked, I've talked to him about this, but I think he turned up in the mid '80s. Actually, he did. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. yeah this,
0: was, this guy was there from from uh, '67. I remember him from because you had. Um, you had John Mills, had Richard Attenborough. You had uh, Vidal Sassoon.
1: Where where are you sitting now? You're in the East Stand it's now, right? The old East Stand. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I used to go and used to use my dad's ticket occasionally when he was working. But otherwise, I would go with him, and he'd walk walk to the office with me, and then I'd go off to either the shed or the, go around the other side. Of course, you could walk round whichever side Chelsea were attacking. We would then walk round and then just just place ourselves in the in the front, always in the front of the the shed or the front of the. Uh, of the other end, and you didn't have the 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 way support in that situation. Well, I think they're in the corner, so you could just sit, you stand to the left of the goal and watch. But um, uh, uh, I digress. No, someone was 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 could be so excellent, and he only played him left back because he was trying to play a, a, an advanced form of, of 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 having him as an extra winger. Wasn't he? That was that was his view, old um, Sexton at the time. He was very advanced with these things and it didn't work. But no, I was such a shame. And then Hollins, ah, I'm, I just, I really, I know he, want, he wanted to have a big change, but. he's only 28. I, was, I know he then, but he was then, you know, he went to Queen's Park Rangers and was awesome. fan- fantastic. Yeah. Queen's Park Rangers. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I went and watched Queen's Park Rangers occasionally. They were brutal. Mm. I know, brutal. Oh, brutal. Oh, Loyal supporter. I, I Jonathan. Yeah. yeah,
2: no, I, I didn't know. Oh, well that no, season. not you as well. A too Brute? I, no, I grew, I grew up in Wilsdon, <laughs> so I was surrounded by QPR fans, and that's yeah. 75 6 season. Oh. And there were the times where you'd go to Chelsea, you'd go to Fulham, you'd go to Brentford. And you loved
0: it also. You loved watching Webby. I loved watching Webby as well. I loved it.
2: It was like watching Chelsea. Dave Sexton yeah. was manager, Dave yeah. Webb, John Hollins. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. and also some cracking players. That Thomas, who played on the wing, bloody hell, he was good, isn't yeah. he? And Stanley Bowles. So bizarrely, Sexton ended up with a side that achieved everything that he should have had at Chelsea. He had not, a bit not of flair, and he not, had some. He had some really good working players as well. Uh, not not Stanley Bowles. Wank wank wank. No no no, that wasn't. No, that was Alan Ball. Alan Ball wank wank wank. Yeah, that I, was, I, I, one of my
1: fa- listen. One of my favorite Chelsea songs of all time. Even though I was never there to really sing it. Uh, and I actually did end up singing this to Super Jock in in the Butcher's Hook after a very drunken whatever the Chelsea annual lunch or whatever. I got absolutely plastered with Beth Wild and uh, Rick Glanville, and I ended up I ended up I think with Martin. It might be Martin Wickham. Can't remember. Anyway, I ended up in the Butcher's Hook, and Super Jock came in. Everybody had been singing the Tommy Baldwin song because Tommy was in there, and Jock looked a bit upset that nobody was singing. So I started out, <laughs> I started a very very throaty. Super jock scores more goals than that wanker Stanley Bowles. La, 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 la. And he loved it. His little face lit up. We drag digress, as we so often too do, but um, I, there's something I, I, I want to ask you. In fact, I'm going to both ask you these questions now, but there's one, one thing I want to say before you answer them, but it might give you a chance to kind of mull it over. Really what I know, because I know that you were there then. Number one, what did you think of all of these changes? Eddie coming in, the youth coming in, the old guys going out, and also what were your hopes and fears for the start or at the start of the season? But before you answer that, it's just occurred to me, actually, something that Mark said a minute ago. Eddie McCready was kind of like a weird amalgam of, of Frank Lampard and Jody Morris. You know, an ex-player, arguably a legend at the club for a long, 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 long time. Everybody loved him, and and yet he'd been in charge of the youth team before he got kind of promoted. So it is like a weird amalgam yeah. of Frank and Jody, and in a sense, completely different circumstances, I grant you. But in a sense, doing the same thing, like that Frank and Jody have done this year. Anyway, enough. You can answer. Uh, Jonathan, do you want to answer the? What did yeah, you think yeah. of the well, changes? I,
0: I, I, I was, I'll Go back to Kemba, Hollins, and Houseman. I, I I thought that having those three playing would have would have been perfect, a perfect balance with the with the youth coming in, a good, perfect blend. But he was willing to get rid of them. Well, I suppose Kemba never worked properly. He'd have excellent games and then disappear. I just like the fact he he was always good at flicking the ball. He made an effort, Kemba, and he he got stuck in. And uh, um, but. Um, as with uh, every season you start off with 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 aspiration that they're going to be excellent you never go in thinking i think they're going to fall apart you don't know you would have you'd been be,
1: about 20 now wouldn't you so you'd yeah, have been a bit more yeah, yeah, knowledgeable and on top yeah, of things yeah yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah i was but um i was at uni and um uh i couldn't get to all the matches but i could still use my dad's ticket my dad had a, a seat in the uh the new east stand upper um with all its dreadful cues for the lose they hardly had any any lose working and that's terribly important for me even then and dreadful i'll go go on about this this they'd obviously given the refreshments they'd franchised it out to people who found obscure i don't know foreign brands in warehouses because you'd go i've just paid two and six i don't know what the fuck this is i don't know what i'm eating here <laughs> and it'd always be, it'd always be dreadful, well, much, dreadful, much dreadful the same to today. Queues, queues, well It's a very similar. But dreadful queues for everything. Miles and miles. ago. Could think, fuck! I'm always having to queue for everything because everything was half finished in the stand. But this, but I had a lovely seat with with Jonathan Paris and his fabulous dad and and uh, and and um, uh, and Deborah, his, his sister, and. Uh, and we, we we were near the front and it was, a, you know, great seat. Loved it, loved watching, but it wasn't there all the time. So it um, w- was in and out of certain matches, but tried to get back when I could. I wasn't I was trying to play for the uh, university uh, first 11, but um, uh, I was up at Hull University and they they were slightly... Um, Tony Galvin was a contemporary of mine at the, uh, at the university who was um, um, playing for Hull City, I think, at the time. He was a very decent player and he was studying... Uh, um, Russian, if I remember rightly. And in fact, yes, there's supposed to be stories about Galvin when playing against Russians for Spurs and Russians saying what they were going to be doing and him just listening and then passing on what uh, what they were about to do at the free kick because nobody realised that he had a degree. Um, but, uh, yeah, flitting in and out, always looking at the newspapers. This is why I was saying, never knowing about the fact the club was, about, was possibly going into receivership. Um, keen to see what was happening, trying to get back, missed out on the midweek games, and... Um, but saw most of the uh I uh, know oh, in and out lots of tried to go tried to go to the Hull game I remember um uh in the second in the second division and was um was told that I couldn't go I was doing some acting thing with the university I did a French and drama degree and um but yeah I, you start off thinking is I think is this going to work with the kids we look forward to it is this going to be great will this how's he going to make them play and unfortunately um you you'll see you 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 certain players you 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 really really admire and almost fall in love with. I loved Maybank. I loved the effort that Maybank made. I always loved it. I think he was a bit raw, but he would always fling himself at everything. There was a there was a kind, and he had a elements of skill. You just felt I don't know that you could, certain players you relate to. You know, I, I'm 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 a great fan of Mickey Thomas. I always will be because of the huge effort that he made, as well as being really skillful with a great shot. And Maybank really made a great effort. I found always I found Ray Wilkins slightly too effete for me. He was classy, huge. Heresy! I know. know, Burn the heretic! I know, I know, completely. (laughs) But I'm slightly... I like the effort. I found he was silky and he was... He played wonderfully in that thing we saw last week against Spurs. He played wonderfully in the game, despite uh, missing a sitter. But then it just faded out, get clattered a bit. I thought some of them were awful. Some of them played dreadfully. And then suddenly look at some of the matches he gave us as references and they're just... Let's just you think, well, nobody's making, nobody's marked anybody. Nobody's made any effort. What's he doing? So it's difficult. You just, you, and then they play very, very well. They'd have a, and a game where you think, no, oh, it's all come together. So uh, it was, it was the, I think as you've put it, it's the, it was the inconsistency of it, which you expect with youth. You, you've got to accept it with you. But, but when you're, you know, you come coming and think, it is, we want it to work, the, the feeling was we were going to bounce back immediately. That's right. always the case with Chelsea. You always feel that every single time. You think, "Yep, they'll get something together. They'll do something, and they'll just come straight back up again, and we'll be dealing with it." And it became apparent that this wasn't going to be the case. I mean, in fact, the the poor Wilkins brother. There, the the own goal he scored, and I think later on in the season, I don't know whether that was a three nil. I can't remember which game it was. Uh, oh, Bolton away. Well, Bolton away. The the old goal, the own goal he scored um, was was a low. I remember thinking in that. Uh, for some strange reason, I fear I may have been there just because, um, uh, once again, it, was, it wasn't it was far away from me when I was at university. And somebody may have said, let's go and watch Chelsea this weekend. I'll have gone, yeah, good idea. And it was, uh, I remember thinking, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, uh, I don't wish to remember that ever again, that own goal. And of course, I have remembered it because we're doing this programme and it's been <laughs> dredged up. But even even
2: run. worse, Jonathan, it wasn't just one own goal in that game. There was two own goals oh, wow. because we were winning the game with an Ian Britton goal. And then David Hay, because like, I talked to Graham Wilkins about his own goals and I've got a lot of time for Graham. He's a really lovely guy. And he sort of said, you know, and obviously he thought the world had fallen in when he scored that <laughs> own goal. But he said... The only consolation was he thought David Hayes' own goal was far better than his. Brilliant,
0: brilliant. Far better, as in far worse.
2: Yes, great. Far worse, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Far worse own goal, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, Mark, what what did you think of the changes at the beginning of the season? And what were your hopes and fears?
2: Well, again, well, I don't know about hopes and fears because I think the uniqueness about that season for me is like my first game for Chelsea was in 1971. And that season was the first time I went to football without adult supervision. So there was no adults, no parents. So you're going with your friends, going with people you know. Um, and that excitement of going to football, um, because you know, whether the rights and wrongs are when you're under your parent guard, you probably behave better. You know, so there was an excitement of, you know, a, you know, a strange thing for me, but you know, no one looking over my shoulder. Uh, and also that side, it was a young side, you know. So they, they were no older than me, some of them, only a few years older than me. Um, and you are in any season and I'm no different now. I am an eternal optimist. I actually still to this day think Chelsea will win every game we play. So I was just so excited to be going to Chelsea on my own. I was so excited to see that team. And, you know, so excited because I thought we were favourites at the start of the season. I thought we'd romp home and win that league, no problem.
1: Brilliant. Okay. well, I mean, the beginning of the season, in a sense, kind of foretold what was about to come. I mean, we... We beat Bristol City one nil. Bristol City, I think, went up the, at the yeah. end of the season. Yeah, we beat them at home one nil. We then drew one one with Norwich. We then lost unbelievably to uh, a Fulham side with Bobby Moore in it. Should be said they were uh, a decent side. That well, they had been side. In, yeah, they'd been yeah, they'd been in the Viv, FA Cup. Viv Busby,
0: yeah. Uh, I went Mullery. Leave, I went to the semi final in uh, at Main Road and watched Fulham. Play um, who did they play? Bloody hell! Birmingham City. Birmingham yeah. City. That's yeah. right. And yeah. and Mitchell scored. And my mate, was, I went because one of my schoolmates and was a mad Fulham fan. Got got so elated by it that um, that he ran on the pitch. And he was the only person to do so, and from the but, Fulham fans. And funnily enough, got arrested. And we didn't see him again. And we don't know what happened to him. I mean, well, obviously have seen, seen him subsequently, but uh, but from that period, it was uh, it was it was absolutely weird because we all went back on the train without him. I think we well spent the we, night in the cells. I suppose
1: we lost we lost to to Fulham and then we lost to Sunderland. These are both away matches. Now Sunderland went up as champions this uh, this year. Bristol City got promoted too, and West Brom was our next match and we drew nil nil with them and they also went up. So we had a pretty tough start as it piled out. And then we had uh, Carlisle at home and we won that three one. And then we uh, had Oxford at home, and we won that 3-1, and it's all looking great. And then we played Luton at the end of August. And we did not win a match, dear children, until eleventh. Uh, sorry, until the 18th of October, when we played Blackpool at home. So, as I said, that kind of early start, winning a few, drawing and losing too many, seemed to kind of proliferate the season. And as I think we were saying a minute ago, I think you, you were saying, wasn't it, Mark or Jonathan, that it was very, very inconsistent... You know, we we drew with Forrest, who, you know, two years later would be or three years later would be European champions or or winning uh, winning the league. Uh, We had an unbeaten run in November and it all looked to be good again. And then, you know, we had only one win in December and that was actually against Sunderland, who got promoted and then... In the last nine games, we didn't win anything at all. We had a few draws, lost quite a few. I mean, it was up and down like a yo-yo. It must have been doing sweet, a Sweden mark that season.
2: Well, I think it's it's interesting because I was I was looking at sort of the sides that played, and you know, you look at that first side at home, and we talked earlier about how different it was to the seventy four side. But if you look at the first fifteen games. Um, and we talked about Eddie having a bit of Frank Lampard and Jody Morris in him. He also had a bit of Cloudy Ran- Ranieri in him because the constant for that first part of the season was Mickey joined John Dempsey with a central defensive partnership. The midfield never changed. It was Ray Wilkins, Ian Britton and Gary Stanley. And then Charlie Cook, Brian Brasson played certain games. But he tinkered with the forward line for that early part of the season constantly. You know, If you look at the first three games, we had three different setups. ups We had Maybank Hutchinson, Maybank Garner, Maybank Swain. Then he quickly changed it to Garner Swain, then Langley Swain, then Hutchinson Garner, then Langley Garner, then Hutchinson Langley. Then, you know, Maybank Hutchinson, we went three up front. And then I think there was one game where it began to turn in November. We had the three big blokes up front. You had Ian Hutchinson, Teddy Maybank and Bill Garner. And strangely, with that format, we started to win games, um, so Eddie really tinkered with our forward line and I think he said himself, yeah, he was trying to find something that you know fitted and he tried every possibility. And I think it was only in the latter part and you mentioned those last eight games. And I think the interesting thing about those last eight games, even though we didn't win any, I think we began to sow the nucleus of the future 76-77 season. And I think the side that finished the 75 6 season is the one that started the next. And by then, you know, the legend that is Jock Finiston was in the side by then. But at the start of the season... Jock wasn't even in the picture, despite breaking Jimmy Green's records for goals. He was out on loan at Cardiff, you
0: know. Why, why did um, uh, Eddie Mac keep Hutchinson in the side, if he's the only... the only? Oh, uh, and Garner, why did he carry on with them?
2: I suppose, uh, you know... <sighs> Their experience, probably up front, he probably was, you know, building on. And hopefully that rawness that Teddy Maybank have, because he started with Teddy up front, you know, with yeah. Hutch, that would, you know, rub off on, onto him. But he chopped and changed so much in that early part. And I think I think even Eddie said in the book, you know, I think he was struggling to find the person that would score, score the goals. And I think I like, I like Ted as a player. There's something about a number nine as a fan, you know, even to this present day. And I think the interesting thing is if you talk to Ted and you talk to Jock, if you ask who's the better footballer of the two of those, who
0: would you say? Who was the second person? Yeah,
2: you know, if Ted and Jock Finiston,
0: who's Jock the better Finiston, footballer? Yeah, yeah. Who's
1: um, the best bet- well, I'd say Jock. I think
0: Jock was a better uh, shot, uh, had better shooting ability, and he you'd be right. Hit the, yeah. the target much more yeah. often and choose his options if you looked at him, whereas Teddy was much more. Of a, it was almost like a. He was a. Um, he, he, he would he'd, sh- he'd scrag you. He was a. He'd get stuck in and go for headers. Some of the headers he scored were were angles, slightly weird angles, but a kind of. Um, he just had a go at stuff. It was his effort. It was his effort. But yeah, jo- Jock uh, once again, I have no idea. You would probably know. Why was he sold? Hundred thousand to Sheffield United. Well, but once again, was that was that paying for the for the debt again? Was that what happened? I
2: I I I I don't know. And I think even Jock doesn't know why, why he was sold. Maybe, you know, Ken Shaletto wasn't prepared to take a chance and Eddie was. But I think Jock is a key part of the 75-76 season. Yeah. Yeah. I think only when he comes into the side yeah. um, and the, the number of games Jock played and you look at other than Ray Wilkins, Ray Wilkins was top scorer that year, but all those forwards that Eddie tinkered with, Teddy, Ian Hutchinson, Bill Garner, they all got about five goals each throughout the whole of the season. Jock came in for the last eight games and got five goals in eight games. Yeah, And I I think Eddie found his goal scorer, but it took him the whole season to discover that.
1: One of those goals was against Southampton towards the end of the season. We were talking about this before we went on air, and it was a cracking goal. Great header, proper, proper striker's header.
2: Really good header,
1: Yeah, yeah. He's a good player, Jock.
2: No, that's, that's the thing. That's the point I was asking about, you know, if you ask who's the better footballer, you know, I've asked Jock and Teddy the same question and they both say, Teddy was the better footballer, the better player. Jock was the better goal scorer. Yeah. He just had something about him in the penalty area. He could sniff yeah. out a goal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's what you want, really. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting, actually. I mean, Jonathan, you know, Mark's been very eloquent there in, in terms of some of the players, you know, who stood out for you? Who impressed? Who who disappointed? over over the course of the season.
0: I was always disappointed with David Hay, um, who clearly had a kind of, there was a slinkiness to him that you thought he should be playing in a better side. But he's I, I suspect he thought that too. Yeah, he did. I think he did. I think he thought he'd come in to be in the first division. But it was interesting in the, um, he, he was clearly very skillful. I was always bemused as to why he ended up playing centre-half because he was a terrific midfield player for Scotland. I just think that the, the, he never quite ever came back to um, the level we expected of him. But you could see he, his ability with crosses and his ability with passes. He just seemed to be caught on the ball. My big feeling with them for the whole of the season was this, this inability to, this constant giving the ball away. I mean, I mean Charlie Cook played out of his skin, actually. is That's another person we did, he didn't get rid of. Was that because they were big mates? Um, or was it that Charlie Cookie did,
1: had been brilliant the season before? He was, if you remember. He was
0: brilliant, he, absolutely. And I think as he we said we said in Tim's book, he said he said I trained a bit harder. And you think, well, perhaps he was led astray a little bit in the mm. in the seasons before. But yeah, when he when he um, he was somebody who you relied on for, and he played him as a uh, as in midfield much more. He played with War Number Four, didn't he? A lot, um, Charlie. I remember being slightly bemused by the fact that he started off as eleven and then got this four. But he was. Uh, um, he, he, but he, even he gave the, it's this giving the ball away I think that seems to single the, this kind of team out from a team that you think is going to get promoted is giving the ball away when you're attacking and, and which was something we, we despair of nowadays in particular is it happens so much less playing uh, at the top of the Premier League but when you then see this same thing happening and teams who have been under the cosh um, just managing to get up the other end and get a shot and probably score from it you then despair at the fact that this is just being each week this appears to be one of their uh, um, their errors. Um, Kenny Swain was always one of my favourite players not least because he had a, a bizarre backside that we always felt that Branagh was the next man with the same shaped ass to play for Chelsea. Um, but uh, Lynn who I sit next to would know more about that as well because she, she
1: always... He was a helped. good player JK.
0: Well, Kenny Swain was oh, I thought I, mm. I really was fond of him I was really fond of him. You could tell that he was, he was a really, really class act, actually. Um,
1: Ended up winning a, a European did, Cup medal with Villa, didn't indeed, he?
0: Indeed, he did. And um, um, I'm trying to think who else I liked. Uh, I was never a great fan of, of, of Droy, I have to say, because of his inconsistency. He was a bit slow and seemed to get turned e- easily. I was disappointed that, um, that Dempsey was on his way out because he'd been so terrific. In the uh, the seventy seventy one season, and um, but I think he got injured as well. Um, uh, Ray Wilkins n- never quite did it for me; it was always a slight fear th- feeling of he's uh, not quite up with it. Um, Ian Britton, I think I said last week, uh, always made a great effort, but was was never never quite good enough. Um, and um, I'm trying to think who else. And Ronnie Harris was Ronnie Harris; you just felt that perhaps he'd found his level playing in the the second division he didn't seem to be as filthy you can tell him that and, and uh yeah um i'm trying to think who, who name me name me anybody else. well
1: okay we also had this year we had steve wicks coming into the side
0: yeah, we, yeah I, he was very raw very and gary very raw. stanley
1: gary stanley played 32 games in the season
0: yeah you always want well he always had a, he had a fantastic shot you wanted him to shoot more that's what i remember about him because he scored some great goals but he he didn't shoot enough for me um uh but no, it was, it, was, it was the inconsistency. It was the fact that they were youth, so you appreciated that. It was the fact that they hadn't bounced back. But once again, once at um, the, the end of the season, uh, I think Eddie Mack made a statement, didn't he, about I've, I've now got the side, I think, that can get back. You get back into the first division. You had faith the following season, something would happen. There's always this, uh, I'm exactly the same as Mark, there's always this optimism at the beginning of a season. You think the team are going to do well for whatever reason you all normally hope it's because they made several interesting signings. So of course, if it was, you know, when it was uh, um, Damien Duff and uh, all that lot, you, you uh, and Adrian Mutu, you, you knew something was going to happen in this instance, there were no big signings, but you thought he's got the youth. Um, they occasionally played really well. Let's hope he can maintain the consistency.
1: Excellent. Right. Well, in uh, part three, uh, we're going to be talking about the fact that the attendances fell like a stone, Uh, But the away support um, was much lauded, actually, and it'd be worth talking about that. Uh, Also, the biggest match of the season, Palace in the Cup. Uh, I will say no more about it than that. Uh, I want to talk about Ray Wilkins because, unlike Jonathan, I thought the man is a god. Uh, But... But as as as, it, as does Mark, you know we will burn. We will have a sacrificial burning of the heretic in part three. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, it's a, probably a really good juncture to 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 give the old Chelsea specials a plug, which are the whole range of interviews that me and Martin King did and then put up on Podbean as podcast, because they feature, you know, various players from this era. Not enough from this particular era, it has to be said. Uh, but nevertheless, well worth a listen. So just to give you an idea, we've got Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tabling, Ron Chopper harris Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, Johnny Bumpstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates and Paul Cannaville, uh, as well as Danny Harkins, would you believe? So they're, they're well worth a listen. These guys absolutely, you know, gave it up for me and Martin and, and and really, you know, open open their soul and what it was like to play for Chelsea tours, which is great. So there we go. I commend them to you. Chelsea special dot podbean dot com. There's a small charge of two ninety nine for each podcast to cover the cost of the production. We were paying the players to to take part. Uh, so subscribe to Podbean, go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com, and then when you get to the, the main page, you just uh, scroll down uh, any one of the interviews you want. You click on Buy Single Episode now. That directs you to the payment wall, and then you can download it. So there you go. Uh, but there's also a website, chelseaspecial.com, and of course we're on Twitter at Chelsea underscore special. so give us a follow, and we're on Facebook as The Chelsea Special. We'll be back for part three in a second.
0: Fans' real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. F- f- FootballFancast.com
1: f- Welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I'm Stamford Chidge, uh, and I've got the wonderful Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Buonasera, and uh, the equally wonderful. But arguably more knowledgeable, Mark Mean. Hello, uh, and I and I say that not just to wind Jonathan up because uh, Mark, I agree. Mark, I agree. Yeah, he has. He's got, Mark's got on it. I mean, if you if you follow Mark on Twitter, which actually we should I should say now, Mark, what's your Twitter handle at Eddie Mac?
2: Eddie Mack's Blue Army B A W A.
1: Eddie Mack, B A W A. If yeah. you follow Mark on Twitter, you know, whenever there is a question asked about Chelsea, Mark will come back with chapter and verse on what happened. I mean, I always used to think that Kelvin Barker was the uh, most knowledgeable person in the world, particularly on the 1980s uh, decade of Chelsea. But I think Mark Mark is is, is fast becoming, uh, you know, certainly in the 70s. But Mark comes out with stuff from articles at the Chelsea Independent. It's just, it, Mark, you are an engaging follow on Twitter. I'll leave it at that. But uh, also, of course, uh, one of the main reasons uh, we've got you on tonight, of course, is because this is all about uh, Eddie Max blue and white army. And of course, you authored the definitive book, of this period of Chelsea, Eddie Mack, Eddie Mack. And and one of the things I love about your book is the fact that it doesn't say who wrote it. You're just, basically, the book is written by Eddie Mack's Blue and White Army. But I I can definitely reveal that you are one of the authors, as was Neil Smith. Mark Worrell's fingerprints are over this, because I could tell with some of the writing. Yep. Who else?
2: Uh, There's a couple of of people. It was a a team effort. It was, wasn't it? There was five of us that put that book together. Yeah, A Labour of Love.
1: I've got to say, DJ must have been one of them.
2: He was indeed. And Kelvin. And Kelvin. Yes, I've got f- house, house. Got i got full, all the five. You've,
1: you've got a full house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well, it is brilliant. Mark, you know, Mark, where can you get this book? I mean, actually, a few people have uh, posted on Mixer saying thank you. Uh, you know, thanks for having Mark on. Thanks, Mark. It's brilliant. And, and I really enjoyed the book. I'm really delighted that Marco's put it up uh, for free as a download uh, in the last couple of weeks. So you're getting quite a lot of love for it. But where, where can people get it in the normal course of events?
2: Uh, the best way is to go to Gate 17 Books. Um, so if you Google Gate 17 Books, you can pick up Eddie Mack, Eddie Mack there. But you can also pick up a, a number of other Chelsea-related books by some other wonderful authors You know, on that website or through the usual place like amazon.co.uk. Yeah.
1: There you go. Good stuff, Mark. Um, and uh, Paul Crowder, the lovely Paul Crowder, who I'm sure Mark will know, uh, has said, what's the bloody Twitter handle again? It's at Eddie Mac B-A-W-A, Paul. At Eddie Mac B-A-W-A. Right, now, back on with the 1975-76 season. And one of the one of the things we mentioned earlier on about the, the parlous state of the club's finances uh, in that period of the club's history. Um, and one thing that they needed was, uh, you know, particularly as they just built the East Stand, which has now been open for, you know, it was open for the 74... Seventy-five season, they really needed it full. They really needed the ground full, and what they found uh, was that the ground was very unfull. Mark, I mean, you, you, I think, you, you, you know, you said that many. I'd say about average of twenty thousand, wasn't it? Really, um, I, I never went in those days. Uh, I the first game I went to was in the mid-eighties when we had about fifty thousand in there for a United game, and it was rammed. I, I couldn't comprehend what. The ground would have been like then, with only twenty thousand people in it. What was it like, Mark? Uh,
2: it, it, and it varied because um, you know it, it was even worse than twenty thousand. Like, Jonathan made reference to a whole city game. Yeah, you know, the, uh, we'll talk about Crystal Palace later, but the whole city game was a game after we'd lost to Crystal Palace. There was ten thousand people there, and at, at the time, you know, it was the lowest gate for Chelsea for for many a year, other than when they played Burnley in seventy four in the middle of a three day week. So. Yeah you, know, you know the shed was always busy but you you look to the right and even now I call it the new east stand and it was the new east stand then how often that stand you know was rarely full and ITV were always a bit naughty as well but whenever they covered us on the big match uh, and god rest his soul Brian Moore his opening intro always seemed to be the camera facing on to the east stand and narrative about how few people there, and how difficult that is that is for Chelsea. And then the other thing as well is that was. I know we're going to talk about the way following. We didn't get many away fans to Stamford Bridge back then either. You know, so other than when we played a big team. So, you know, if we played Sunderland, they would bring some fans. But if you're playing Oxford or Bristol, yeah, maybe Bristol City brought some. Played Oxford or Carlisle. Even we played Bolton. I remember we played Bolton before Christmas, and there was no Bolton fans there. So. Yeah, nowadays yeah, we have three thousand away fans at Stamford Bridge. So that all, a little,
0: that all contributed. Little pocket, Mark. I always felt there were about ten or fifteen of them, just below. They got lost below the below the uh, halftime scoreboard.
1: <laughs> yeah, they couldn't see like the them. whippets being raised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And it was because you, you could go that end, as I said, and the, the old North Stand wasn't being you couldn't sit in the North Stand then. I think it was because then out of the following season, of course, it was demolished and it just sat there like a kind of strange, you know, deflated dinosaur. Um, but you could then just stand in the court. You didn't actually have any interaction with the with the uh, the opposition fans. You didn't. There didn't, didn't appear to be much running after them if there were only 10 of them and they were... Uh, uh, and, and they were um, uh, they they made the effort to come down from Bolton. There wasn't much um, goading of them.
2: And and, and even and like you know, even talk about the Oxford game and uh, you know every time the opposition scored where they scored first at Oxford they scored when we were three nil. You had that you're going to get your
1: kicked in. Yeah.
2: I tell you what, actually,
1: Mark, on that point, because I mean, yeah. you know, what what the people the punters listening probably won't know is that in the course of you know me putting the script and stuff together. I go through YouTube assiduously and pick out every match from this season. And by the way, people, it, it you know, I don't exactly spend a huge amount of time doing this, so it's not exactly forensic. Just go into Google or YouTube and put in Chelsea seventy five seventy six, and you will come up with the exact same matches that I've come up. And I have to say, it's been a delight watching old match of the day clips with John Mottson commentating an old big match. Uh, games with uh, with Brian Moore commentating, but the one thing I've, as always, actually, Mark, I've been drawn to is is the chanting, yeah. and and I'm particularly enamoured of the minute um, any time uh, uh, an opposition player kicks a lump out of a Chelsea player, Chelsea Eggro, Chelsea uh or you're going to get your fucking head kicked in. And there's there's a or,
2: third one as well because obviously uh, when the refereeing decisions went against us. Long before Who's the in the black? There was and it's your, you know, your old lady is an oar.
1: Is <laughs> an oar an, an, an oar? Yeah. <laughs> That's
2: how yeah. it's has yeah. It wasn't pronounced even correctly. No, no.
1: Yeah. She was a rower. I think they were trying to say <laughs> exactly.
2: She,
1: you wrote, you rowed for Thames down yeah. at Putney. Yeah,
2: it was always handy when we played away at Fulham. <laughs>
1: <laughs> your whole team are oars, mate. Your whole team are oars. Yeah. But the, but and there was a lovely one actually. Um, I forget the match now. Uh... Actually, it was the Southampton match where Gary Locke got uh, absolutely pole and went off on a stretcher. And they had a lovely Gary Locke chant. There were, there seemed to be a lot more, um, I don't know, maybe there weren't more, but there were some really lovely player chants. It was a very different time. I picked up some info, Jonathan, actually, on, on the average attendances. And uh, the average attendance throughout the season that was 8,896. The highest league attendance was 29,000. And eleven, and the lowest was uh, ten thousand two hundred fifty-four, which was the whole game, as you were saying. Um, I'm tempted to say that you know this is all down to the fact that Chelsea were in Division Two, that as ever, as always, something we may find out in the future as well. Actually, we've always attracted a fairly transient. Uh, supporter base, because of the location, because of the flashiness of the club. So basically, our hardcore support, I think, has always been a lot less than we would like to think. But that would be a bit unfair, because this was a time of falling attendances as well, and an absolutely, uh, and an economy that was in the toilet. So there wasn't a lot of money around. So there were a lot of other facts involved, weren't there?
2: Oh, de- definitely. The, you, people had just come out the three-day week. Yeah, So people picked and choose their games. So if you if you see... The Games where we did well, it's the bigger teams. Well, as, I think as that's, it, the, that's the, the shown
0: thing. By, um, by uh, the palace game, of course. In the uh, we'll get to the,
1: that, the get palace. to that. Oh, keep the powder dry. I
0: was there, <laughs> I was you there. Were... I remember, so but JK, well. I
1: mean, you, you know, you were a little bit older than Mark in those times, so you might have been a bit more aware of the economics about what was going on. No, so, what, what,
0: no, 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 no you,
1: were, you were doing French and drama, See, so clearly not
0: university. I was being at the Ponce. <laughs> <laughs> and i was
2: working it. in the greengrocers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes i can't wait to the season where uh, jonathan makes his debut as uh, in mr pitkins and therefore becomes a legend but uh, anyway we digress you know was it was it because the the football we were seeing was rubbish because i mean you know we look back at i look it, back
0: you know it contributes yeah it's contribute if the team are playing badly people and people have got difficulty with they don't want to spend their money they won't go if they, it, it, it's just the way it works you know and it, they were they were very inconsistent and you just uh, some of it was they they had some terrible performances that was the thing it wasn't it it, it was turgid and just you thought and the, oh, they just seem to give up and not have any effort and player, fans can't stand that they i'm afraid they vote with their feet that way you if they if they don't see the effort going in, and they can't see, and the heads go down, they it, it takes a really, really strong fan to to be consistent. Particularly if you haven't got a season ticket, you know, it, uh, somebody just goes onto the terraces. They're going to go. Well, I'm afraid to say they'll go. I'll watch Fulham. I'll go and watch Rangers. These were the two other alternative teams at the time. I mean, I, I, you, you cut me short earlier, but Fulham had had Best and Moore playing for them. They had. They had um, Bar- Alan Mullery. Mullery, um, um, yeah. Yeah, that's and they were they were very consistent at the time, and um, and Ra- and Rangers were on the up and up. So yeah. you can
1: see the uh, the attraction. But Ran- Rangers came second this season, didn't yeah. they? Yeah,
0: yeah. There no, wasn't it the following season, wasn't it? They were second.
1: No, it was this season. It was it this season? Oh, all right, all right. Yeah. By about a point to
0: Liverpool. Yeah, that's right. They, they were, Yeah, they they were behind, weren't they? Liverpool in the final game of the season, and then they, yeah. they came back to win. So Do you know what? i, I just about.
1: Sorry to butt in, John. I remember that as a kid. Because I remember, I mean, the BBC's tongue was so far up QPR's arse, they used Lou Roll to clean their teeth. I mean, basically, they were next door, weren't they? Of course, Loftus rose right next to the BBC. So they would like have, people would like be kind of phoning in on the latest of what was happening on QPR. And I remember that last day of the season really, really well, because QPR should have won the league that year. But they were, as you say, they were picked by Liverpool. We digress, and I'm very no, sorry to also, cut across you. talked then. about
0: blue roll. Of course, the thing to remember is the mass, the mass oh, yes, of blue yes, roll that was everywhere, yes, as well. Yes, that yes, was the major thing to be thrown from the shed. It's Enough
1: to make you faint in this day and age. That waste of blue roll. A little bit, yeah. People,
0: people would yes, that and probably selling coronavirus. criminal mate. coronavirus. Sorry, um, coronavirus, Corona beer, I should say. But no, it. What was the advantage, bizarrely, of the dog track still being there? Is you could actually lob. Uh, a loo roll quite a long way if it had its tail to it, because and it would stay there for the whole of the game. That's what was yeah, so bizarre yeah. about it. Was you get people thinking, i see if I can beat him, or if I can, yeah, I can throw this one." These trails of loo roll going out from the shed, into, as near the near as possible to the goal.
1: Anyway, so I, I think it's interesting about the, the, the nature of our, our home support. I mean, it's really interesting because, you know, it's it's sold to people like me who weren't around then as, oh, well, you know, it was great. It was uh, the boys of Blue in Division Two, and we won't be here for long. And, you know, we had all the young players playing, and that, that's why we like seeing the youth now because it reminds us of that. I mean, if you were at the Eddie Mac. Do that I was on the launch. Do it was it was the most wonderful amount of blue tinted nostalgia you're ever likely to see. But there was never any of this. What it was actually really shit. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm, I'm I'm as a youngster I feel very confused, Mark.
0: No, but I, I think sorry, one sec to interrupt. Sorry, Mark. I, I think it was
1: because well, now you're confusing me. I said I said Mark. I, I said Jake earlier on I, I, a I Mark spoke, and now it's like Mark and I he'll apologize. But what I what am I going to do?
0: But no, but part of the the, the fact that it's because the following season was so much better. And it was this. Yeah, season, I think so. This season was the So, well, that's what that's what uh, Eddie Max remembered. But and also because yeah. he said, "I want two seasons." So yeah. it, the very fact that that was the case, and the second season, and also he was very loved as a player. The support really loved him. He he'd been a wonderful player for Chelsea yeah. from uh, yeah. from what sixty three came under Doherty, didn't he? Yeah,
1: yeah. He'd been yeah. so
0: good that there was this feeling for him as well. You know. so...
1: I think that's fair. Actually, that really what we're talking about with the the very blue tinted nostalgia here is is the is the next season, which we'll get on to next week. Mark, I wanted to ask you. I know you probably a little well, a little bit younger than J.K., but from what I understand, um, and this has been handed down to me by the likes of Neil Smith and and my mate Psycho Phil, who, funnily enough, used to go to the games together quite a lot. Chelsea's away support was very different from the home support and by this time it's it's gathering quite a reputation I think not just for the violence it meted out, but also for the, the the huge numbers that would go. I mean, do you remember much about that? Do you know much about that?
2: No, it, it was more because I said at 13, I'd, I'd started going, so I was going to home games. I didn't start going away till the following season, the season after. But, you know, you, you hear and you hear, you hear the stories afterwards and it even start with the first away game. And I got told sort of like, you know, the story where they played Sunderland, the first away game of the season, take a huge following up there. Uh, And this is where the legend of Stephen Hickmock almost grew, um, because the way the away end at Roker Park was split in two. And apparently, I think Stephen Hickmock stood up on a crash barrier and basically said, we are superior. We are (laughs) superior to them. Look at how they dress. Look how they look. Look at how they talk. They're all wearing donkey jackets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We are Chelsea, and I think there's also a bit um, the previous season Manchester United had rampaged through the second division on and off the pitch. You know, so they they went through and won back promotion. But obviously, you saw that you know on the news constantly. Manchester United bringing huge way followings. Yeah, and I think you know, yeah, you know, Chelsea sort of like followed in Manchester United path in the second division. But there were some crazy away followings we brought. I, I read, like, just researching this, we played York City away the last game of the season. No, I don't think we did, but this is what the journalist said. He said the 9,000 Chelsea fans. And you sort of think, we bought 9,000 at York. You know, it might have been a, a six upside down, maybe. But if we bought 9,000 at York back then, that is phenomenal away support. Yeah. And even looking at the, the Fulham game, you know, uh, that was on the sort of games we watched. You know, huge following at Fulham that equals the 83-84 game when we probably brought about 12,000 to Fulham. So it was the nucleus of our way support for future years. It really started in that season.
0: And of course, you I think, weren't restricted there, were you? Either by the number of... Uh, they wouldn't say only a certain number of fans could get in. If you got in, you paid at the turnstile and you went into on the, the day. position. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: yeah. I think Mark's point about I mean, United is... Like, um, sorry, away, Mark.
2: Away tickets didn't come to later seasons. Yeah. I, you know, they started making games um, all ticket away from home. Uh, I think after Chelsea fans misbehaved at Charlton the following season. Yeah, you know. but up until then, you can pay on the door.
1: Yeah,
2: and I, thousands I think, used to.
1: I think Mark's point about United the previous season is very, very pertinent because you know Chelsea were one of the you know most well-known, flashiest sides in the country at the time. It was a real, they were a real glamour side in spite of the fact that they'd been rubbish for the last few seasons. So they were a big draw, and uh, I mean, I remember, you know, when I was first going, and and in later years, when I got to know the likes of Smithy and Phil, you know, the stories that they would tell about the fact that, in a way, you know, I mean, we were one of the best supported sides in the country, certainly away from home. Man United, I think, were were top dogs, but we, we were a very close second. But it was also, we were going to all these kind of strange little places. We hadn't been For years and years and years, I mean, or ever. In the case of York, for example, Orient. I know we'd seen been there in the Cup, Bristol City. We hadn't played for a while. All these kind of teams. So we were also a bit of a target, weren't we, Mark? So, in a sense, it it wasn't all about. Well, obviously, Chelsea had the biggest firms and the big were the biggest thugs around. There was a sense of, you know. Uh, safety in numbers I think was what was was happening because going out to these kind of outposts of English football Chelsea, everybody wanted to take them on
2: Yep, certainly, yeah Uh, I know know a friend of mine went down to the Plymouth game so that's the first time he went down to Plymouth that was in the latter part of the season and describing that welcoming community of Plymouth Argyle fans so you were reassured when you were getting off the special yeah, you that know, there was four or five hundred you know, other Chelsea fans with you because there was often in these towns a reception committee waiting for you.
1: I I funnily enough, I met a bloke on my I think it was a holiday in the Caribbean, getting on over twenty years ago now. A lovely bloke actually, and he was a big Plymouth Argyle fan and he talked to me about those those days when Chelsea came down there and you know, he was a bit naughty, he'd been in a few of their firms. And uh, but he, I, I mean I've never been involved in anything like that. God forbid I'm a lover, not a fighter. But he, his his respect for me was automatic, based on his encounters with Chelsea fans from those days, which was quite <laughs> ironic. But anyway, we digress. But um, I, think,
2: I think the other thing I'd add to is also you talked about our average gate for that season being about eighteen thousand at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. About nine games that season away from home where Chelsea gave that team their biggest crowd of the season.
1: Yeah, yeah. there you so go. We, we you broke go.
2: their attendance records that season, you know, for half-hour away games.
1: Yeah, there you go. All right, now, there was one game uh, which kind of was rather redolent of the old days. This is something I was I was actually watching this on YouTube uh, when Mark phoned me up earlier on. Uh, and this was uh, when we drew <clears throat> Crystal Palace. I think it was, the what, the fifth round of the FA Cup? Yep. So, the one before the quarterfinals. Um and uh, we had fifty-five thousand in there and it was redolent of the old days. Put this into a bit of context for you people. Crystal Palace were in the third division, uh, but they were managed by the very flamboyant Malcolm Allison, who had recently been the uh the, the Man City manager had almost won them the title, but kind of screwed up by buying buying Rodney Marsh. Uh and he was larger than life. He used to he he, he lived on a diet of uh, cigars and champagne. Nothing else. He didn't eat anything else or drink anything else. Only champagne, and he smoked big fat cigars. And he had a big fur coat and a fedora hat, a big white fedora or cream fedora hat. Uh, and of course, his assistant manager was Terry Venables, ex of Chelsea. Um, and he'd just beat his third division side had just beaten the mighty Leeds United in the round previous two hours. And he'd had this the media loved him and, and they were blowing smoke up his arse. So Malcolm would always go around at the stadium and make a prediction of the score. Palace would always win, of course. And he did the same thing when Palace came to Stamford Bridge. I would imagine, although I wasn't there, and I'll ask these chaps in a minute that we were heavily fancied to beat them. Allison does a three-two. Uh, score prediction, <clears throat> but the two is directed as a two fingers to the shed end. You can imagine that that went down like a cup of cold sick. Um, by the end of the first half Chelsea find themselves 2-0 behind. Uh, Peter Taylor involved in both the goals. One's an excellent shot from outside the box, the other was an assist which I think hit the bar and then Went in, or maybe I'm thinking of another game. But Where was
0: it hit the bar? Yeah. Then uh, was it Ch- was it <coughs> Chast- Nicky Chapton scored. scored. Yeah. Chast- That's yeah. right. It did, didn't
1: yeah. it? It did. Yeah. It did, didn't it? Uh, it looked like it had gone in anyway. Actually, was yeah. on the thing well, I, I think was every, watching. All the Chelsea
0: overall. players stopped as a consequence. They thought it. Yeah.
1: Just, it? So we're two nil down. Uh, we're going out of the cup. I'm going to let you two pick it up, Jonathan. Um. I would, as I said, I would imagine that Chelsea were favourites to win this by a country mile, even though you know we were in the second My division. My
0: memory of the of the match was that we were sort of all over them, really, and I think they we were, they, and I think we once again just gave the ball away, and uh, um, and they just caught on got the break, attacked, and Taylor was a class apart. You know, he eventually played for England. He was uh, he was completely brilliant, and. Um, um, just eased past players. Funny enough, he he could ease past players in a way that Charlie Cook used to be able to do it. He had a very similar kind of swagger, and uh, and then a very accurate shot. So, um, you know, what more would you want than he? Uh, his, um, his, uh, his his is both the second goal that he scored was just terrific, but that was from a breakaway. So, um, there was always the feeling that you might Chelsea might come back in. I remember there were being a. Uh, a, a great amount of um, pressure in the second half, and uh, and we and we scored. I, who scored the who scored their goal? Wilkins, Wilkins great that's goal. Right, that's right. Yeah, Wilkins, who I was so rude about before.
1: That's um, right. His, yeah. but he, captain, he, leader, he, legend, mate. He could,
0: uh, he could pull it out of the bag occasionally. Yeah, and yeah. then of
1: course Steve Wick scored with a header. And, and, the, and his celebration looked like he'd won the World Cup. Well, it was brilliant. That,
0: well, exactly what I was about to say. I remember, remember being there with him and thinking, that's slightly over the top, isn't it? <laughs> oh, well, never mind. Come on, come on, please. yes, yes, yes. And, of course, we should have won it. But then, of course, uh, another com- a wonderful piece of brilliance from Taylor. It was actually a, kick. It was a very clever free kick because he uh, somebody did a kind of fake run at it and everybody sort of went, oh, and then all he did was just just place it beautifully into the corner. He was, I mean, it, it, he was absolutely a class act, Taylor. You could tell there was, what on earth he was doing playing for them uh, was, was beyond me, but he, uh, he, he was uh, really terrific
1: play. Mark, what are your memories of that match? I mean, I, I I wasn't there, but watching it again today, I can't believe how fantastic the atmosphere really was. It was proper, wasn't it? I
0: think
2: my, my memory of the match, it was at that point, it was the biggest crowd I'd ever been in at Stamford Bridge. Like yeah. the two preceding home games, we played West Brom at home and the game before that, we played Oldham at home. So there were two games before, and there was about 15,000 for both those games. And we went from 15,000 where you could walk up, you know, pay your 35 pence and go straight in. And Brian Mears, to his credit, really pushed this game. From the moment we beat um, York City uh, in the previous round, Brian Mears was pushing this game saying, we can get 50,000, we can get, it'll be just like the old days. And he was right. You know, all the seats were sold out. So you had to get there early to get in the shed. And, like, you know, we got there about half past one. And it's like the main entrance is now, And I'd never seen a crowd like that ever before. Never seen. And it was scary. It was at 13 years of age, trying to get in. It took about half an hour, 45 minutes of fighting your way through. They had police officers across the concourse. And they were only letting two or three people at a time. People were getting crushed. You were in the shed? Yeah, this is trying to get into the shed end. Then I I got in. And you make the point about Malcolm Allison. I literally got in at about quarter past two. To see Allison coming around doing the three two, I remember that so well. It was the names that they that they called it, but it was just a brilliant game. Yeah, we played so that was probably the best we played that season. That yeah, we were up and down in so many games, and um, I think I read the press report and I can't remember which journalist said Peter Taylor only had four touches in that game. You know, Chelsea did the homework on Taylor and Ron Harris and Gary Locke, when he moved from wing to wing, did a really good job, except for four occasions. And on three of those occasions, they got a goal from it. You know, we played so well. When it got to 2-2, the noise in Stamford Bridge when Steve Wicks equalised. It was phenomenal, wasn't it? 50,000 people in the bridge. The noise it was making. And you thought at that point, there was 15 minutes to go, there was only one team left in the game and we were going to win. And then a couple of minutes later, Peter Taylor takes that free kick. It's a brilliant goal, and it just knocked the stuffing out of Chelsea and knocked the stuffing out of the ground. You know, um, it was it was a great game to watch, but it also, you know, it's it's how how we how we lost that day. Real real tragedy because you know if we'd gone past Palace, we'd have had I think Sunderland in the next round. Yeah, yeah. Who Winnable. Knows? Who knows?
0: In
1: yeah. Southampton.
2: In Southampton in the semi final, and you have been there, Chidge.
1: Well, yeah, but probably probably not in the shed end as I ended up being. Probably not
0: in probably not at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. Yeah, well, true. indeed, not. It yeah,
1: is. yeah, but it'd be Highbury, I expect, in those yeah, days, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, but there you go. It was amazing watching that back on YouTube. I have to say. Now, um, before we kind of kind of wrap this up with a bit of a summary of what we thought, I, I think you know, just for Jonathan's benefit, really, I, yeah, Mark and I are going to eulogise Sir Butch of Ray Wilkins. Because, you know, he's 18 years old, he comes into the side 18 years old, he's made captain by Eddie in a very difficult match the preceding season. This season, you want to get an idea of how important he was to a side, and this is as an 18-stroke 19-year-old. Actually the same age, even younger than you were then, Jonathan, that's how... Young he was. No, I was a very F- young
0: 20, Chid. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you were doing French and uh, drama, and as you, by your own admission, was a ponce, yeah. not not a professional football no, player. No, not a ponce.
0: I was poncing about. I was-
1: oh, you were poncing about. Okay, just wanted to clarify yeah, that. I would would hate would hate for I would hate to ha- have a lawsuit from you later. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Ray is our leading appearance maker <clears throat> with 47. He's our top goal scorer with 12. And, and I think, you know, the standout player of the season, Mark, the question I have really is... Was this season the making of him, do you think?
2: It certainly was the beginning of, you know, the legend that is Ray Wilkins. Um, uh, Obviously, the 76-7 season, I think it was helped by the formation Eddie Mack plays the following season. But that season, he was, you know, for 18 years of age, a remarkable player. And I think there's some sort of key moments in there. Um, He misses three penalties, you know, during the course of the season. One Uh, of the reasons
0: I was so fed up with him, (laughs) let me tell you. Yeah. yeah.
2: But, you know, he, he misses. But each time he misses, he comes back and, and takes a penalty. And there was a run where he's taking penalties. Um, so he had the courage to do that 18 where other people who might have missed the penalty might not take another penalty again. Mm. The Blackburn home game, last part of the season, Jock's in the side. We beat Blackburn 3-1. Uh, Ray scores, I think, two of the goals from memory. And Eddie McCready takes him off. So he substitutes him. uh, And I think it's one of the few times in Ray's career he was ever substituted. And he goes in after the game to see Eddie McCready, to sort of, you know, challenge Eddie McCready why he got substituted. Because he was playing well, he got the man of the match, you know, and Chelsea were winning. And Eddie McCready said, did you hear the crowd cheering your name when I took you off at 10 minutes to go? Because that's why I substituted you. He was just telling Ray, you know, because I think Ray lacked a bit of confidence at times, you know, you know, you know, he took all that responsibility on and there was a manager doing a marvellous thing for him and said, they love you here, you know, and that just that little gesture I think meant, meant the world to, to Ray, you know. And I, again, yeah, you know, the other thing is he, he was our top scorer. He got some good yeah. goals that season. And when I interviewed him for the book, which was probably and all the players I interviewed was the one interview I was looking forward to doing. And, you know, they they say, never never meet your idols. Oh, I was so glad Mm -hmm. I met that man. That afternoon I spent in his company was just a terrific way to spend two hours. And I asked him what was the best goal, because he scored lots of goals for us. And his best goal that season was Plymouth Argyle at home. We drew 2-2. He scored a diving header against Plymouth (laughs) Argyle. You know, Ray Wilkins didn't get many goals with his head. And he said in all of his time playing for Chelsea, And you think of the goals he scored, the Palace goal, the Sheffield United goal the following season, the Hereford United goal. That goal, you know, Plymouth's goal was the best goal he he, uh, ever scored for Chelsea. He was a tremendous player. Yeah, And at 13 years of age, I saw as he played for us only a couple of times, he was my idol that season. Absolutely, 100%.
1: Yeah, he became mine, Mark, you know, the following season and the one after that really vicariously through watching the big match, you know, and... Like you, I very luckily got to meet him, Um, and uh, one of the nicest people you'll ever would have ever met in football. there's there's also
2: a bit of humility about Ray. I think earlier in the season, he was interviewed by Brian Moore, yeah, on on the big match. I can't remember was it was it the Carlisle United, yeah, Uh, and he was just so modest. You know, Brian Moore was Brian Moore was trying to get some information out of him and what he did, and he sort of said like, "Oh, do you go out?" Yeah, you know, with your brother Graham, They said, oh, occasionally go out, you know, go play snooker. And well, are you going out with him tonight or something? And I think he says, oh no, Graham's courting. Mm. Yeah, it was just <laughs> it's such a beautiful term. Graham's courting. He's got a girlfriend.
1: <laughs> there was a lovely bit in that where Brian Moore says, so anyway, is it is it Ray or is it Butch? And 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 the, it, Ray kind of sits there wistfully, looks, at him. he says, I, I think Ray will do, Brian. <laughs> This is an 18-year-old kid. It's just amazing. Um, just look, just to summarise all of this, uh, I mean, one point we haven't really talked about. Ian Hutchinson, it was his swan song and what an amazing player he was for Chelsea in, in many senses. Sad seem go. We'd been deprived so much of of, of him at his best. Uh, it was also, because we finished 11th that season, uh, we had that horrible run at the end as we were talking about earlier and that was our lowest finish in our history at that point. But in amongst these things chaps um you know could you see jonathan any signs of recovery or or, or did it still feel absolutely dire the future
0: um uh, once again one starts the next season thinking they'll get promoted you can't not you know it's 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 what you do as a fan and it being chelsea do you think they're they're uh, they're good enough so um I, I, I felt I thought it was going to be difficult, but um, I don't think dire. No, I think they'd they'd been uh, as I said turned a corner. They'd been. Uh, I think Finiston. The arrival of Finiston was something of great interest because he just, uh, I think, as we've established, he, he he could he could put the ball away in a way that um, others couldn't, and I think that that Maybank just. Uh, um, Gave way, didn't he? Was he transferred at the end of that season? Mark, I can't remember. Did
2: he? He went. He went on loan the following season to Fulham. Fulham. Yeah, of he yeah. Did. so he joined Fulham the following season. Yeah. I think his last game for us the following season I think might have been Millwall at home. Yeah, he left in about the February.
1: Of course, Tommy Langley breaks through, doesn't he? That's next well. season, which yeah. Yeah. we'll talk about then. I mean, Mark, kind of same question for you, really. I mean. Could you see the signs of recovery? I mean, I think you were saying you could earlier on and we were mentioning Super Jock then. And
2: I think there was a key game. And I I think it was just after Jock came in, we played Southampton at home um, because Southampton were FA Cup semi-finalists. They just missed out on promotion that year. And I think we, we played well against Southampton. And I was too young to go, but there was a game later on. And by now, Ray Lewington is in the side. And Ray Lewington is playing the McAuley role before McAuley probably was even born. And that McAuley role freed Ray Wilkins up even more. And we saw the benefits of that in the future season where Ray Wilkins was always playing in a number number 10 role. And so that became our format. And we played Bristol City away. And Bristol City, we were going for promotion. And all the reports of that game afterwards, you read the press reports on the Bounder Friday website, it actually said that Chelsea were the better side. So although Bristol took the lead twice, we came back first... With a Kenny Swain goal, which is an absolutely yeah, brilliant goal. goal, and then from a Ray Wilkins corner, there's a Gary Stanley header, and each time Chelsea came back and finished the stronger side. Yeah, so although we didn't win in the last eight games, there, there, there were signs there, and I think I think there was a, there was another game um, shortly after we played Luton Town at home. Yeah, you know, we drew two two, but Peter Benetti got injured in the first half, and Bill Garner went in goal. He went in
0: goal didn't he? Yeah. He went
2: in goal, but yet we still with ten men. You know, we gave Luton a game, and we were unlucky not to win that game. So the the, the signs, the signs were there. But as I said earlier, I think we had our stabilised eleven for the following season.
1: Indeed. Well, I can't wait uh, to talk about that, which we will do uh, next week. Now, before we go to uh, the good old part four, um, just a very quick plug for uh, the My Chelsea things that we do on a friday uh we you had the dubious honor of having to listen, listen to me waffle on for over an hour last friday talking to tony glover uh, i'm not sure who it is this week cuz i've yet to record it but hopefully uh, we'll have one out for you on the on the friday so look forward to that and uh, we it might actually be alex churchill she keeps on avoiding me probably because she's so flaming busy doing her history excuse me her history hack podcasts, which are absolutely brilliant i listened to uh, one of her band of brothers once this afternoon when I was out for me. Constitutional. And it was absolutely brilliant. She's done a fantastic job. Uh, I, I now look at her. I won't be as rude to her when she's next on the Chelsea fan cast. Because she's clearly a, a woman of greater talents than me. I can tell you. She's fantastic. And anyway, if you want to go and listen. If you like history, go to historyhack.podbean.com. If you like Band of Brothers and Sharp and Hornblower and that kind of stuff. She's done some great episodes with them. With all the cast. Ian Griffith. bloke who plays archie half of the band of brothers cast they are amazing so check it out people check it out
0: Eine Frage. Wie schnell war der Aufschlag? 150 km/h. Wie lang war der Drive? 229 Meter. Wie lange hast du geschlafen? Oh, 7 Stunden 54 Minuten. Letzte Frage. Trainierst du deinen Körper und deinen Geist mit der Achtsamkeit?
1: Ja, genau das mache ich.
0: Wir alle haben Fragen. Und die neue Apple Watch Series 7 hat die Antworten. Auf dem bisher größten und fortschrittlichsten Display. Die Zukunft der Gesundheit am Handgelenk. Lieferengpässe möglich. Erfordert ein iPhone 6S oder neuer App aus dem App Store Abo erforderlich.